When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tints. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, if you're a regular consumer of our content, you know my obsession with like varying substrate compositions and what I call enhancement of the substrate. You know, adding mixes of like various materials to create different aesthetics and function. You've likely seen my recent work with different materials like leaves, botanicals, clays, and sediments that I've shared with you here and elsewhere. It's just an idea that I cannot get away from. In fact, it's something I'm borderline obsessed with. I don't know why. But it's kind of interesting, like when you study substrates and so forth. Now, studies have shown that streams are very interesting places where materials accumulate differently and move around and so forth. And studies have shown that particle sizes tend to decrease the further downstream from the source they're found. Large rivers like the Amazon have these beds of shifting sands that are slowly transported with the currents. Now, typically the larger items like pebbles, boulders, rocks, or whatever, tend to stay in one place longer. Makes sense, right? So in a more powerful flow, you're more likely to find larger size materials. Now, this interesting history about sediments in the Amazon, the first recorded observations of bed material in the Amazon River were made in 1843 by Lieutenant William Lewis Herndon of the U.S. Navy when he traveled the river from its headwaters to its mouth, and he was sounding the depths and noting the nature of the particles caught in a heavy grease that was smeared to the bottom of the sounding weight. And he reported that the bed material was mostly sand and fine gravel. Uh, other scientists, Altman and Ames, took samples of a few locations in 1963 and 1964 and reported that the bed of the material in uh, large parts of the Amazon to be fine sands with medium diameters ranging from 0.15 to 0.25 millimeters. So it's real fine stuff. There's a whole lot of science of this naturally graded materials, and you'll have to do some research on the subject yourself. And in the end, science can tell you a lot. However, creativity and your aesthetic taste are typically the guidelines that you'll embrace to assemble your own little slice of the bottom. Now, however, the physical composition of the materials is just like one aspect of interesting aquatic systems. The other and perhaps equally fascinating part of the equation is the story of how these materials reach these streams and are distributed there in the first place. Yeah, no piece on substrate composition of these habitats would be complete without a quick review of the streams themselves and how they arise and function within the broader ecology of the region. Now, stream and riverbed composition is affected by a wide range of things like regional weather, currents, geology, the surrounding dry lands, and a host of other factors, all of which could make planting your next aquarium even more interesting if you take those factors into consideration. If we focus on streams, it's important to note that the volume of water entering the stream and the depth of the channels it carves out helps in part to determine the amount and size of sediment particles that can be carried along and thus comprise the substrate. Makes sense, right? And of course, the composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream, which alters the composition and the ecology in many ways. Lighter materials like leaves and sediments and twigs will of course be redistributed by current and other factors. And of course, leaf litter beds, as we've discussed a gajillion times here, right, are one of the underwater world's most productive habitats, and they're host to numerous life forms ranging from fishes to fungi. 
Now, some litter beds form in what stream ecologists call meanders, which are stream structures that form when moving water in a stream sort of erodes the outer banks and widens its valley, and the inner part of the river has less energy and deposits silt, or in our instance, leaves, along the path. So there's a whole fascinating science to river and stream structure, and there's so many implications to understanding how these structures and mechanisms affect fish population, occurrence, behavior, and ecology, and it's well worth studying for aquarium interpretation. Now, did you get the part where I mentioned that the lower energy parts of the watercourses tend to accumulate leaves and sediments and stuff? Yeah, I'm sure you did. I mean, I'm pretty certain that many of you did anyway. The lower energy parts of the stream often are where the greater population of fishes and food items are found. It makes sense. And they happen to be relatively simple to replicate in the confines of the aquarium. And the coolest part about this is that you can derive many of the same benefits from these litter beds in the aquarium as are found in nature. Permanent streams will often have different volumes and compositions of materials, usually fine-packed sands and gravels with lots of smooth stones, than the intermittent streams, which are the result of inundation caused by rain, etc., and are mostly soil and so forth. These so-called ephemeral streams typically only occur after rain events, which means they actually don't usually have fish in them unless they're washed in them for more permanent watercourses. This is, of course, just another example of how weather and seasonal events affect not only the composition, but the very formation of streams. The latter two stream types are more typically affected by leaves, botanical you know, debris, branches, and other materials. The substrates are typically littered with these materials, which are constantly being redistributed in water flows and into and out of them. In the Amazon region, you know I was got it back there, right? It sort of works both ways, with the rivers influencing the surrounding land and the land giving some of the materials back to the rivers. The extensive lowland areas bordering the river and its tributaries, known as varzea, or floodplains, are subject to annual flooding, which helps foster the enrichment of the aquatic environment. Although many streams you know, derive their food base from the organic matter, there's a lot of other material present that contributes to its structure. Think along those lines when you're scheming your next aquarium. Ask yourself what factors would contribute to the bottom composition of the area you're taking inspiration from. You'll see a variety of bottom compositions in Amazonian and other tropical streams, ranging from you know, the aforementioned leaves and detritus and sand margins to sand and silt over cobbles to boulders covered in algae to the fine patch gravels root tangles and even just silt you might say that the rivers and streams act like nature's sediment sorting machines because they move debris geologic materials and botanicals along their courses and along the way varying ecological communities are assembled with all sorts of different fishes being attracted to different niches interestingly in most streams, the primary producers of the food webs that attract our fishes are algae and diatoms, which are typically found you know, on rocks or wood or wherever light nutrients create optimum conditions for their growth. Organic material that enters the streams via leaf fall is acted upon by small organisms, which help break it down. And it's probably no surprise then that bacteria, especially biofilms and fungi, uh, are the initial consumers of the organic material that accumulates on the bottom. Like the stuff many of us loathe, right? The these, in turn, are extremely vital to fishes as a food source. Hence, that's one of the things I love so much about utilizing leaf litter as a big part of your substrate composition in the aquarium. Now, streams which flow over stony open bottoms, free from natural obstacles like tree trunks and stuff, tend to develop just a big old al algal turf on their surfaces. While that's not something a lot of hobbyists want to see in their tank, with the exception of you Embuna guys and maybe some shrimp keepers and a few true weirdos like me, Algae-covered stones and rocks are entirely natural and appropriate for the bottom of many, many different types of aquariums. Enter that into the next aquascaping contest. You know, let those snobby, pretentious judges see a bunch of algae-filled rocks, see how they react to that. Oh, hell yes, that would be cool. <laughs> anyway, grazing fishes, of course, will feed 
you know, on and among these algal films, and they'd be logical choices for a stony bottom-themed aquarium. When we think about the way natural fish communities are assembled in rivers and streams, it's almost always the result of adaptations to the physical environment and the food sources that are present. Now, not everybody wants to have algae-covered stones or a mass of decomposing leaves on the bottom of their aquarium. I get that. However, I think considering the role that these materials play in the composition of streams and the lives of the fishes which inhabit them is really important and entirely consistent with our goal of creating the most natural, effective aquariums for the animals that we keep. So we barely scratched the surface of the very bottom. However, I hope that I've helped click on the light bulb in your head to consider what goes on down there and understand that it's every bit as important as any other part of the aquarium. There's plenty of scholarly research out there to draw on for inspiration and lots of videos and photos to get to help you devise a plan. Let's pay a little more attention to the stuff on the bottom, both in our tanks and in nature, because there's so much cool stuff to learn. Stay curious, stay creative, stay excited, stay inspired, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.